Ishai Barkodhari experience expertise and training as a psychologist gave him singular insight into the psychology adaptability high performance business and leadership in today's episode let us chat with dr ishai on adaptability hacks and a bit about emotions as well this is the guiding voice podcast series the guiding voice for a better future folks i'm your host navin samala just a fellow it professional on a mission to shape the careers and lives of millions across the globe and through the guiding voice we help and enable successful leaders share their knowledge and wisdom with the world so that our audience will acquire more knowledge by tuning into the guiding voice podcast than any other podcast in this space thank you so much for joining me today and we are extremely pleased to have dr ishai part of the guiding voice journey in shaping the careers and lives of millions across the globe dr ishai i'm super excited to have you here and hearty welcome to the guiding voice likewise i am really glad to be here i'm really excited for our conversation and thank you for having me all right so pleasure to have you as well and uh, dr ishai maybe you can briefly talk about your career journey and uh, share the top 3 things that have helped you to be successful in your professional journey with our audience yeah so as you said i'm a licensed psychologist um and you know i could start at childhood that might be a little bit too far back even though you know it's something that uh us psychologists like to think about so for me it's really been a process of learning and understanding learning you know i think all of us we experience challenges along the course of our lives from childhood and and onward and for me some of the challenges that i experienced both when i was really young and then also through high school and college really kind of drove me to want to understand myself and others in a very deep way and then as i really gained more understanding it became clear to me that i'm really passionate about in a sense kind of leveraging that to help people to help myself and to help other people and so that's really the path i've been on ever since i you know went to college i immediately majored in psychology i actually finished my courses so quickly i had 2 years left of college and i had nothing to do so i picked up a second major i majored in sociology and then i applied straight to phd programs i got into one i completed my masters my phd and then i did my postdoctoral residency becoming a psychologist it is no joke it's a long process uh and so i really really invested in that i really kind of dug deep into that and i got just incredible training along the way and really over the last few years i've been kind of working my way into my areas of expertise and then in january 2022 i launched my own practice which very quickly just kind of got really full um and so i've just been really excited and and love doing that and in addition to that i also have really developed expertise in business and leadership because it's something that i've been interested um it certainly helped me i think really launch and have my practice become so successful really quickly and at the same time it also brought me to doing coaching and consulting for business leaders for entrepreneurs for business owners um and so that's something else that i'm really passionate about in fact i also have my own podcast it's called the business coach with dr yishai where i also speak with leaders and kind of share their wisdom and expertise um so there's something i think that we share in that uh wanting to bring into the open and share uh with the world uh these yeah. insights and really help people grow and succeed. i think that makes a lot of difference in people's lives and we believe in this philosophy sharing is caring right whatever the knowledge that we acquire and in fact i need to appreciate all the 270 plus guests that i have interacted so far they have selflessly shared all the knowledge and wisdom with our audience and kudos 
it uh, kudus uh, for doing that and yeah we belong to the same tribe uh, dr ishai <laughs> all right so moving on let's talk a bit about the emotions right uh, mm-hmm. you say that whatever we think about emotions whatever we know we think about emotions is wrong right why do you think so yeah so oh there's so many things i actually have a three part series on my own podcast it's called 12 mistakes we make with emotions um i think it's episodes 57 60 and 63 in my podcast it was very early on there are a few things that we think about emotions and we use those as the basis for how we operate how we treat emotions ours and other people's and fundamentally more recent research is actually over 2 3 decades of research is showing us that those ideas those assumptions those lessons that we learn about emotions from our environment from our parents from our teachers from our colleagues are actually a little bit off base so i'll give you a couple examples one of them is most of us think that emotions are a consequence they're an outcome or a result of something and especially in english our language speaks to that so we say you made me mad or that made me happy And when you think about those sentences, happy is the end result or mad is the end result from some kind of action, event, decision, behavior, and that idea is very common as an idea or a way of thinking and relating to emotions. And if that's the case, then all the uncomfortable emotions, anger, stress, uh, anxiety, overwhelm, those are things we want to avoid or get rid of. And that's a very common way of thinking as if they are unhelpful. However, research both neuroscience research and psychology research has been showing that emotions are not the end of the line. They're actually in the middle of something. They are a process, not an outcome. They're not a product of something, our environment or our just our brains or something that happened to us. They're actually a process our brain is engaging in. It's in the middle of something. And what that means is we don't get angry for no reason. Look, if I ordered your favorite food and I had it delivered to you, at the busiest day when you haven't even had 2 minutes to eat are you going to be angry no right if anything you'll be happy maybe even excited right yeah. emotions are not un unpredictable in this way that we we often think they are they show up under specific parameters on the other hand if let's say we started this conversation and immediately i start to insult you or put you down are you going to be happy not at all <laughs> no not at all right Chances are you'll be at least annoyed or frustrated, maybe even angry and possibly enraged, right? So the thing is when we think about these emotions, we often think about them as just an outcome, but they're actually an internal psychological process. It's a neurological process. It's our brain telling us something happened or something isn't happening and either it's trying to direct us towards or away. So in other words, emotions actually they provide us data and they direct us and in fact what that shows us is that emotions are not the outcome if they were the outcome they wouldn't be really providing us just data and they wouldn't be directing us so what happens when somebody disrespects me and i feel angry they cross over some line of mine well if i didn't have that anger i would have no idea no concept of my line getting crossed right when you ask most people if you could eliminate all the anger in the world would you and what would it do most people would be like yes i'd push that button in an instant and then there would be no wars there'd be no you know intimate partner violence all of these things that are problematic would disappear on the other hand though 
if I didn't experience anger and someone, I pulled out my wallet to pay for some something and someone took my wallet from me, how would I know that that's not okay? It's programmed, right? We have been brought, brought up like that. Yeah, we've been taught that yeah. anger is damaging or unhelpful. Whereas, as it turns out, and research increasingly is showing this, that the vast majority of the time we're experiencing an emotion, it's actually really useful. I'll give you another example. There's someone, uh, there's a case, a very famous medical case of someone who had damage to their amygdala, which is a part of our brain that helps to tag fear. And it was a woman, she was in her 30s. And so she started acting in a way that was very fearless. And for most of us, we're like, sign me up. I wish I could be that way, right? Whereas one of the interesting things that was happening is the doctor was doing some assessments and asking this person about their day. And one of the things they found out is that this particular woman was walking through a park late at night. And it was a park that was very well known for crime, violent crime, muggings, and sexual assault. And so the doctors were actually really concerned because this woman was really in that case because of this damage to this part of her brain that tags that tags things as dangerous. We call that fear. Because of that, she was unable to change her behavior or alter her behavior with the perception of fear in mind, with the anticipation of some potential danger in mind. And so they actually worked on and coached her and she had to intentionally think through the consequences of things in order to make the intentional decision to avoid it. And that was actually really difficult work. And the, all the doctors who treated this particular this particular woman, they were really concerned about her long term. So I think it's an example. And again, there's a lot of research in neuroscience and in psychology that underpins how important our emotions are that without them, and I'll tell you, as a psychologist... So many people, they walk into my office, they reach out to me, they say, I'm feeling stressed, I'm feeling anxious, can you help me get rid of it? And in my head, I'm like, I don't have a scalpel that I could cut it out, and even if I could, I wouldn't. What we can do, and I think what's important to do in the work that I do with my patients, is we talk about how to understand it, what it's trying to do, what its purpose is, and how to get on that and do it skillfully and effectively, and even more effectively. So this is just one example of a mistake, a way in which we think about, or we're programmed to think about emotions that fundamentally doesn't help us. That makes sense. And I can relate to the example that you mentioned about the incident, but I'm really curious what happened to that lady when she walked into that park. <laughs> Fortunately, she came to the doctor the next uh, the next day, the next week, and she was okay. Oh, um, <laughs> but the doctors were really concerned because she didn't mind doing it. So it was on her way home. And so she was willing to work late and go do that. And so they actually taught her to take a different route. And awesome. yeah. there were parts of her that she, she was even a little bit resistant. She was like, I don't understand why, right? Oh. But she eventually did take a different route. There were enough people <laughs> who were conveying concern to her about it. Yeah. Unfortunately, she trusted her doctors. Okay, so in case if you don't understand the emotions well, and as you said, emotions is a process in itself, but not an outcome, right? Mm -hmm. So if we, if we don't understand, then probably people might make mistakes with emotions, and that might create more problems, right? Yeah, in fact, it often does. And what are some of the mistakes that people do by misunderstanding the emotions? Yeah, that's a great example. So I'll give some examples at work. Let's say, whether you are working under someone who's your direct manager or you're in a leadership position and someone comes to you, let's say someone's experiencing feeling stressed, overwhelmed, or burned out, right? In a corporate space, a lot of people are not receptive to that. People often are afraid to communicate that because they anticipate, if I tell my boss that I'm stressed or overwhelmed, my boss is going to say, oh, there's something wrong with you. You're not great at your job. 
it's going to show up on your performance review, right? And because of that misunderstanding of the emotion, they think that it's a consequence, it's some kind of outcome. Instead of it being a process, it's information and it's useful to direct us. It's information that there's too much work and not enough time. It's information that there's an overloading that's happening and that there are going to be consequences down the line. Instead of looking at it that way, it's just viewed as some kind of internal consequence that some person is weak or not good enough right? And so we do this to ourselves when we don't communicate with our leadership. And I'll share with you again, in my practice, one thing that I do and I help people do is learn how to communicate. I call it in functional language, not with emotion words because people don't understand them, right? Because people think in ways that are unhelpful about them, but in words that convey the important message that will get listened to and heard, presuming the person actually cares, rather than using the emotion word that's going to be misinterpreted. And as leaders, when someone comes to us, we call them, by the way, we call them complaints, right? Oh, the people are complaining at work or our clients are complaining. And we think that that's a problem or that there's something wrong with them. Or we get also, we'll have our own reactions to it. We'll be frustrated or or we'll have our own reaction. We'll be even annoyed or we'll be, we might even downplay it as a way of trying to, again, make it go away because if you think about it as just a consequence, you want to get rid of it. Um, Instead, for leadership, understanding a complaint actually holds deep, deep, important information. It's conveying information the same way that our neurons, the cells in our body that transmit electrical signals from our fingertips to our brains, from our tongue to our brains, from our ears and our eyes to our brains. When someone is communicating a complaint, they are transferring information from their vantage point to the leadership's vantage point. It's connective tissue. In fact, again, I hope I'm not sounding like I'm shilling my podcast too much, but I actually have an episode on my podcast. It's an early episode called The Costs of Missing or Dismissing Communication in Business. And it's something I see all the time where leadership will misunderstand or misinterpret, or they're even going to minimize what it means when someone comes to them and says, I'm stressed or I'm really overwhelmed. And so they don't foster an environment or they don't even ask questions, follow-up questions to understand. Can you tell me what's going on? Help me understand what's on your plate, right? Instead, everybody goes into fix-it mode. And then as a consequence, even if the issue is getting fixed, the person is not experiencing that their perspective when they're conveying information, that it's actually responded to or that it's understood. And sometimes they get judged or blamed for it. And that creates an environment where people don't feel safe. And psychological safety, now there's a lot more research on psychological safety. It is deeply important in the workplace for people to be able to function increasingly well together. As it turns out, performance is not just a function of a person themselves. It's a function of their entire team and how they experience the environment. And uh, yeah, in in fact, it is uh, giving me a lot of exposure to the underlying details of these emotions and all which have been overlooked so far. And now, uh, Dr. Ishai, you teach principles of emotions and how to harness them, right? Can you briefly talk about this? Yeah. So I have a few frameworks um, Mm -hmm. and I actually have worksheets on this. So one framework that I have, I call it the 3D adaptation framework. The 3D framework basically says that emotions have three purposes. Their process has three purposes. The first one, and I was speaking to this a little bit earlier, is data. Emotions provide us with data. And the examples I used before, anger gives us data that some line we have is getting crossed. Happiness, for example, gives us data that something I'm doing is meeting a want, a need, a goal, or a dream. That's data. And we know now how important data is, and we value data a lot more than we used to. 
this is a significant shift in understanding and thinking about your emotions. If your emotions are data, suddenly they're like a gem. And sometimes they're rough. Sometimes they're not polished or cut. And so those are the skills that I kind of help people develop. So the first step is data. The second step, or the second purpose, rather. The second purpose is that it directs us. It's there to tell us to turn right, to turn left, to go straight, or to go in reverse, right? So in other words, emotions, in terms of harnessing them, it can be useful to slow down and think about what is this emotion trying to do? Is it trying to get me to turn one way or another? Is it trying to get me to double down, go forward? Is it trying to get me to reverse and go backward? So that's the data. And the third one is drive. Emotions are massive motivators, right? People say a deadline is one way of lighting a fire under someone. Well, the deadline itself doesn't do that. It's the stress and even the anxiety. And research shows that in mild to moderate amounts, when it's not getting in our way, and I'll say when we're not relating to it in a way that we are treating it as if it's unhelpful, we can actually harness that. So you know, something, for example, when someone says, I'm having really a lot of difficulty being motivated, we talk about that. We'll talk about that with my patients. Or if I'm coaching, you know, an entrepreneur, we'll talk about, okay, what is going on in the moment, right? Or if someone comes to me, they want to, they want to do some consultation for their company. They're like, my, my employees are unmotivated. Okay. Well, let's hack this a little bit. Their lack of motivation is saying something. It is a process. It is data. And it can actually help you direct yourself if you know how to tune into it. So, there's this process and, and you can really kind of pick it apart and say, okay, if somebody's unmotivated, it means that there's some kind of scale that's tipped one way or another, that it's either not worthwhile or the costs are significant or they're anticipating, they're predicting, they're expecting that if they do put in more effort, they're not really going to get very much out of it one way or another. And I actually did a, a consultation for a business owner who was saying he had an employee, the employee came in, really did the minimum. And he's like, the guy I think is capable of doing more. He's not unintelligent. He's, he's actually really capable, but I can't get him to do more. And I said, okay, I have a question for you. What does he get if he does more? Like, what's in it for him? Right. And he was like, ah, does it, shouldn't he want to do more? Like, shouldn't he want to be a better employee? I was like, you know, maybe even if you dangled a raise in front of him, you'd give him a carrot, but ultimately let's, let's think longer term right? Let's say he could get a raise and the raise is 2% or 5% or even 10%. 10% is a big raise. How much more effort does he need to put in to get that 10% more than the minimum? And usually the answer is like 20, 30, 40 plus percent. So, okay, you got to tip the scales better than that, right? You need to understand that the emotion is a response. It's giving him data that putting in more effort is not going to get him more. And then people have a tendency to weaponize emotions. They try to use fear, say, well, if you don't do more, I'll fire you. Okay, now what? So now they're only doing more so that they don't get fired. Okay, so as soon as they find a better job or the next job or a job that they can do the minimum, guess what? They're gone, right? And again, what does that create as an environment for people at work, right? So if you want to hack the emotions, if you want to use those principles and harness them, you need to start thinking about what's this internal process that people are going through. How do you tweak the data that they get in? How do you alter the direction that they want to go in? And it needs to be in their interest, right? This is not something that you can just try to abuse it or squeeze them because guess what? That's really short-term gain. And in the long-term, it's not going to work out well. That's great, Dr. Ishai. I'm loving the conversation. And now let's move to the next question. Can we engineer the emotions we want for ourselves, spouse or partner, teams, clients, maybe leaders and more? Resoundingly, yes. <laughs> Absolutely, you can. 
It does take effort though. And I was alluding to this before, right? So let's say you want your partner, your spouse to be happy. Okay. What's happiness? When does happiness show up? This comes back to an earlier part of our conversation. Happiness shows up when we have, I named them, a want, a need, a goal, or a dream that's being met. Okay. Let me ask you, if somebody put a contract in front of you and it said, you're going to be in a relationship with somebody and this person is going to put time, energy, effort, a lot of it into you getting your wants, your needs, your goals, your dreams, and they hand you a pen. Are you going to sign on that dotted line? I would sign me up. Someone's going to help me with my wants, my needs, my goals, my dreams. Absolutely. In fact, when people are getting married, that's the thing everybody talks about in their vows. I'll be with you through sickness and in health. I'll support you. Or they say, thank you. I love you because you give me all of this. So this is the contract that we're signing. If you want to generate happiness, figure out what those things are and put the energy and effort in and make them happy. Make them happen, right? That doesn't mean you can make people happy because I might know one of your wants or needs and I can try to do that, but you have a lot of them. And I might not be able to provide all of them for you. So I think there's a distinction between being responsible for someone's totality of emotion and being able to generate or or create an environment or a situation in which a person is likely to feel them. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Great, great examples. Dr. Risha, now let's talk about human brain and how is it designed for adaptability? Yeah. So I'm actually going to tie it in a little bit to our conversation. We're going to come back to it. So one thing is I want to take a step back. We have two systems in our brain. I talk about them a lot. One system, we know it very well. We call it habits. It's a system in our brain that's designed to automate. You can call it your mastery system. What it's designed to do is help you learn and get better at something. So repetition, for example, let's say the first time you got into a car or you got onto a bike, how efficient and effective were you? How good were you at doing that thing? Chances are not so great. What happens though, after you've done that 5, 10, 15, 20, 80, 100, 200 times, you get better at it. It becomes more automatic. What that means, and essentially what a habit is, it's reduced required input, less input required and a greater output, right? So we call that mastery. And by the way, there are millions and billions of words and books and podcasts on habits, right? However, that's not the only system in our brain because if we only had that system, any habit you ever made would never be able to change. You would just be doing it forever. So a habit you might've had in childhood, you would be stuck with for the rest of your life. Instead, we have a different part of our brain. And I like to say and think they work in tension and in tandem, very much like your bicep and your tricep. So your bicep, if you want to pull something towards you, you need to contract, you need to tighten your bicep, but your tricep needs to get looser. And the opposite is true. If you want to push or pull something down, you need to contract your triceps and then your biceps need to get looser, right? So this second system is our adaptability system. This adaptability system, I call it your adaptive brain. What it's designed to do is to actually slow us down. Instead of trying to reduce the input, it actually is an input-heavy process. Instead of trying to make things just go faster, it actually tries to slow them down. And instead of trying to just get better at one thing, it's actually there to help us generate. And I say it's there to help us generate, I call it the three A's, new awareness, new analysis, and new action. So the human brain is uniquely designed for this in that we have the system that is constantly functioning and evaluating and like our bicep and tricep works in tension and in tandem with that habit system. It's part of what makes humans so flexible. There's another language you can use for that brain. It's actually called our emotion brain. Why? 
Because again, our emotions are a process. Those emotions give us data, direction, and drive. In other words, they're a change process. Emotions don't show up when something is going and plodding along just fine. It shows up when it wants us to put more energy, to make a change or to double down. It's there to motivate us. So as it turns out, our emotion and our adaptive brain are really one and the same, which I find is really interesting because especially in the business world where, where adaptability is like the newest wave, it's the post-emotion intelligence wave. It's completely separated from emotions the way most people and, and business consultants and training programs talk about it. They actually really separate those two things out. I don't, and, and increasing research, especially neuroscience research, as well as psychological research is showing that they're not different. They're actually really one and the same. That's great. Thank you for sharing those details and uh... Now it's the time to briefly talk about your podcast. It's th- it's the time to briefly talk about your podcast, the Business Coach. Yeah, thank you. So, Business Coach with Dr. Yishai is is really a brainchild of my passion for and wanting to learn and share more insights, having deeper conversation about business and about entrepreneurship and about leadership with leaders, and then also really having the psychology piece be a big part of it. So now I like to say that the business couch with Dr. Yishai is where psychology and business sit down to chat. And so usually what happens is I'm the psychology and my guest, whether they're a CEO, they're a leader, they're a thought leader, they're a coach, they're a business owner, they're the business side. And so we kind of sit down and, and have conversations about really the, the business side and the psychology side and how important they are, how they fit together. Every business is a person business right? It doesn't matter if we're selling services or products, guess who we're selling them to? People or businesses that are full of. And so psychology is such a big part of that. And so those are the conversations that I have. I also really like to dig, you may notice this, I really like to dig deep and deeper and deeper and deeper. So the process, the way in which I have these conversations is it's really about uncovering insights, exploring those insights, and then connecting them with really tactical strategies with ways in which you can implement them in a really down-to-earth, clear way. And the idea is, it's almost like compound growth, just, just thinking about it, just being intentional with it. That's flexing your adaptive brain. It's training your adaptive brain. And when you do that, it really allows you to engage in a more helpful, more meaningful way. That process can really accelerate growth. So the, uh, we are going to publish the link to your podcast in the show notes. And I repeat the name of the podcast is The Business Coach with Dr. Ishai. Wonderful. So this has been a great conversation, Dr. Ishai. Now let's uh, spice up this episode. I'm going to quickly open a rapid fire round with your consent. Are you okay with it? Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let me find the first bullet. What was your childhood fantasy? I wanted to be an inventor. Inventor. Wow. Awesome. And I'll come to the last question where you have a chance to in- invent <laughs> in a while. <laughs> but <laughs> let me move to my next one. Can you share with our audience one life-changing incident that changed your perspective altogether? Yeah, I'm going to try and keep it short. There's so much more here. When I was younger, I actually had a lot of anger issues. Um, and it's funny because most people now who meet me, they say, I couldn't imagine you being angry. And I like to say, I understand what anger is. So I know how to address the anger and how to harness it. Um, when I was younger, though, I had really a difficult time with it. And so there was an incident where my friends and myself and my brother, we were all playing on a pool table. Um, and we were just moving the balls around and a ball hit me and I got so angry. I picked, I grabbed a ball 
And I chucked it so hard at my brother's head that I was lucky it only tore a two foot crater through the wall behind him. Uh. And that's because he got out of the way in time. Like, I'm so lucky. And I feel so grateful that he got out of the way because, you know, I, I could have taken his head off. Um, and that really fundamentally changed a lot. That set me really on the path that, I, that I've been on in a really big way. It sounds so scary. All right. Yeah. It was. There were a million emotions. I exploded with emotions in that moment. I can imagine. All right. So moving to my next one, speed or perfection, which one would you choose? Uh, I like to, I'm going to, I'm going to break that question. It's a spectrum. And so I tend to be on the side of slowing down and being intentional, but I think speed and perfection are very much like your habit brain and your adaptive brain. Uh, and so I think you need both, but you gotta, you gotta work them in tension and in tandem, right? Like your bicep and tricep. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. I, th- I, I love this um, uh, concept for sure, because this is a unique concept that I came across so far. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah. Okay. So let me find the next one. Uh, which word do you like the most in English or a foreign language of your choice? What is your favorite word? You know, the only one that comes to mind for me. So my family is Persian. And some Persian words, they just really stick out to you. So one at this moment that's sticking out to me, it's a uh, fuzul. Fuzul means when somebody's really nosy or they're like really, they're sticking themselves or, you know, very gossipy. They're trying to get some juicy gossip. And I think even just the, the sound of it kind of tells you it's like annoying itself. And it tells you how annoying it is when people are that way. Interesting. All right. So... That that was great. And uh, here comes my last one. What is one electronic gadget or technology that you'd like to see or invent yourself, Dr. Ishai? It's funny you say that because as soon as you mentioned that at the beginning, um, I had like a list of gadgets that I wanted to invent and ideas of how to invent them. And like one thing I was thinking of, I'm, I'm really into science fiction. I really love science fiction. And I was always thinking about how do you create like a deflector, like force field? And so the idea that I had is one of the things that's really interesting is if you turn electricity on and it's coiled around a, a magnetic light object, then it creates, it creates a, a magnetic field. So even if it's not a magnet, you could use a nail, an iron nail or steel nail uh, to create a magnetic field. And I had this idea, what if you were switching it on and off? And you could change the polarity. And so what might be happening is if somebody is like shooting a, you know, a, a bullet, if it's magnetic to you, it might do this funny thing where it could potentially actually just hold it in place or repel it. I don't think the science really bore out on that, but I think it'd be really cool if we could create uh, a force field of, ki- of kinds. Um, yeah. <laughs> Quite interesting. Ideas of a seven-year-old. <laughs> Yeah, the reason I ask is uh, at least it will trigger some thoughts to the startup enthusiasts and the uh, young students, young professionals who listen to the show, <laughs> right? Yeah, this is one. Got it. <laughs> well, I think if I could invent something, it would yeah. be maybe an encyclopedia or a resource, something that someone can tap into with their finger that if they're ever experiencing an emotion, they could just click a button and it would tell them what the emotion is, why it's showing up and what it wants from them. So they could figure that out and go do it well. You know, that's kind of my life mission, though, is is essentially to, to figure all of that out and then to create it. So I don't know if I'll create the app for it, but maybe I will. <laughs> Good luck. Good luck uh, on you. your journey.
All right, so that was great rapid fire round, Dr. Ishai. Now uh, let's switch back to the mainstream, and I'm going to ask you one final question for today's conversation. What will be your one piece of advice to those aspiring to make begin their careers? So I think it is being intentional about your own path. In other words, and this goes back to the habit versus adaptive. the adaptive brain, right? A lot of people, they start to get into their career and the first thing or the thing they invest in is getting a lot of expertise in what they do. And that's wonderful. I'm not saying don't do that, right? Uh, the concept I come back to is intention and in tandem. Don't just, you know, it's, it's like saying, I'm going to go to the gym and I'm only going to do bicep curls. I'm never going to work out my triceps. Well, one time when you go, you need to lift something and you need your triceps, you need to push something and you need your triceps, you might injure yourself. And I see that a lot. So if people really want to make it big in their careers, I think they need to learn to work out and to flex both of those muscles. You know, maybe not just one area of expertise, but also to have this adaptability for themselves, for their careers or their career direction or trajectory. And also to really be able to slow down, to be intentional, you know, to take this data direction and drive to really tap into that. It is, I think, an incredibly empowering skill or set of skills, and it's really worthwhile to work on and develop. Awesome. Yeah, that is so profound. And Dr. Ishai, this has been a great conversation and I enjoyed every bit of it. Thank you so much for being part of our journey. And thanks for your time. Likewise, it's been such a pleasure. You packed so much into a short time. Can't believe we got through all of that. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Came through practice and all. And at the same time, yeah, I love the habit as well as adaptability. I have to mm -hmm. practice the habit of uh, podcasting and while adapting to the every guest and we cover unique topic, right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. All right. Okay. So, pleasure to host you, Dr. Ishai. So, folks, before we move into the trivia section, here is a request to you. In case if you haven't subscribed to us, please subscribe to us from the app where you have tuned in from. And also, if you have loved this conversation and found it useful, request you to share with at least three of your friends or colleagues who can benefit from the guiding voice. All right. Now, let's jump into the trivia segment of today's episode. And today's trivia is about emotions because we spoke a lot about emotions as well as adaptability. Dr. Ishai has shared a lot of insights around that. But I would like to give you an overview of Plachik, a, a person or I would say a scientist named Robert Plachik. He created a wheel of emotions in order to illustrate eight emotions in a compelling way. Basically, these eight emotions are the most rudimentary or fundamentals, but there are countless variations and nuances of those eight emotions. And the eight basic emotions which I'm referring to are joy, sadness, fear, disgust, surprise, anticipation, anger, and trust. You know, the Plachik's wheel shows the visual dynamism of uh, emotions, like what happens to an emotion when it's left unchecked. And uh, what you get when you combine two emotions like anticipation and joy. So likewise, it is pretty much interesting stuff. And especially when you want it, when you can understand how to interpret the wheel. So I would strongly recommend you to search for Plachik's Wheel of Emotions. And in case if you want to enhance your emotional literacy, and that is one of the essential component of practicing emotional quotient. All right, so all the best on enhancing your EQ journey. That's all for today. But before I let you go, request you to come up with some interesting topic recommendations and also provide guest speaker suggestions by reaching out to me through social media or email me at theguidingvoiceforyou at threadgmail.com. Thank you so much for joining me. 
फ्रेंड्स आई एम योर होस्ट नवीन सामला जस्ट अ फेलो आई टी प्रोफेशनल एंड अ पैशनेट लर्नर ऑन ए मिशन टू मेक द डिफरेंस इन द करियर्स एंड लाइफ ऑफ मिलियन एक्रॉस ग्लोब अंटिल नेक्स्ट टाइम बाय बाय